have a Bible, and I, I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with. Let me invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're, we're going to be in a variety of different places that I'll reference in Scripture, but I want us to start here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, while you're turning there, I want to say how grateful I am to be a part of this gathering. I wish I was there in person. Uh, I've had the opportunity to spend uh, a good amount of time in India and in different parts of India. I praise God for you as pastors and leaders and church planters and followers of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ in India. I, uh, have heard much about God's grace specifically in this group, and uh, that's why I've been looking forward to having the opportunity to be able to hopefully encourage you with God's word. But I just want you to know I thank God when I remember you, I pray for God's grace in and through you for the spread of His. Glory and his gospel there where you are in India and then far beyond where you are among the nations. So before we, before we dive into the word, I, I want to, to pray for you, for our time together. And I just want you to know how thankful I am for uh, the privilege of joining together with you this way and let you know how much I wish I was there with you in person. So... Let's pray. Oh God, I, I thank you for this way for us to gather and hear from you in your word. I pray for every single person who is a part of this gathering. I pray that they would know, even right now, in a fresh way, the depth of your love for them. What it means to be your child, to know you as Father. We praise you as the one true God over all. God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings, we praise you, Jesus, as the one who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead in victory over the grave, who gives us eternal life. And we, we thank you for saving us from our sins, God. We thank you for delivering us from the judgment we deserve, bringing us into your family, and then for calling us to lead in your church. We don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be standing where I am right now. None of us deserve to be where we are right now. We're only here by your grace. And so we praise you. We praise you for your grace. And we pray that you would help us by your grace. Even now, God, I pray that you would help me to be an instrument in your hands to encourage my family in India and that you would help us all, including myself, in the next few minutes to hear from you about what it means to love and lead and serve and shepherd your church. So teach us by your Holy Spirit right now. We don't want to do anything in the next few minutes. I don't want to speak. We don't want to listen in the flesh. We want to listen. I want to speak in the power of your spirit. So lead us by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want us to read through this whole chapter, 
where Paul is talking about the church. And there are three different pictures that Paul uses of the church in this chapter. So I want you to, as I read, try to listen out for three different pictures or images that Paul gives of the church. And then that will lead us into the first couple of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Then based on that, what I want to do, so the topic I was asked to speak on was spiritual disciplines of a church. So based on what we read in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, I want to encourage you with 12 spiritual disciplines of a biblical church. So 12 spiritual disciplines of a biblical church. Each one of these spiritual disciplines, we could spend many hours talking about. Obviously, we we don't have time for that during this session, so we're going to hit them pretty quickly. But I hope that they will provide foundation for you as you think about the church you're a part of, you think about the health of that church, to be able to say, what does this spiritual discipline look like in our church? How are we doing? Are we healthy when it comes to this spiritual discipline? Or not. So let's start though with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Again, look for three different pictures of the church and what Paul writes in this chapter. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise." For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Okay, so did you see it? Three pictures of the church. Paul's talking here about who the church is, what the church is. And in verse five, he starts using imagery of a field and workers. In verse nine, he says, we are God's fellow workers. Then he says, you, and here he's speaking to the church. He says, you are God's field. So there's the first picture. The church is God's field. That's a picture that's common in scripture. Even when you think about Jesus teaching about the sower and the seed. As the sower 
throws seed on the ground and the seed grows up and bears fruit and there's no explanation for it because God is the one who gives the growth. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul does this, Apollos does that, but it's God who grows the church like plants in a field. So that's one picture of the church as a field that God is bringing fruit in. That leads to the second picture in verse nine. You are God's field, God's building. And that's the picture he talks about from verse nine, end of verse nine, all the way through verse 15. And I love the way Paul talks about his role here as a church planter. He says he's like a skilled master builder. He's laying a foundation for the church in Christ. Think about it, like this is what we do in church planting. We are master building. This is what we do as pastors. We are building the church. Now obviously we know from the language Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 16, he is the one who builds his church. That's what Paul is talking about here. God is the one who gives growth. At the same time, there's a sense in which we might say we are building the church as church planters and pastors. This is what Paul said, he said, I laid a foundation, somebody else is building upon it. And using that imagery, he says, be careful how you build. Because one day it's gonna become clear whether or not what you've built will stand. This is a very sobering passage because building the church is extremely serious work. The Bible is saying here, not just to the church at Corinth in the first century, but to you and me right now in this gathering, God is saying through his word, be wise according to my word in the way you build my church. Because how you build my church will have an effect on what people think about the church, what people think about me, and whether or not people will be able to stand in eternity. Like Paul is saying here, you better build the church well on a firm foundation because eternity is going to show whether or not what you've built is able to stand the test of fire. If any the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. This is verse 14 and 15. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So building the church, pastoring, planting the church, this is no casual task that you and I have been called to do. Or we're just free to do it however we want. No, this is a serious task that we must do according to God's word. And while our salvation is secure, in this sense we don't fear the day of judgment because we've trusted in Jesus, the reality is one day God is going to judge how you and I have built his church. That reality should cause all of us to tremble. The church is God's building and he's called us to be builders in it. And that leads to the third picture, the church is God's temple. Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. What a powerful picture. The church is the dwelling place of God. The temple is the place in the Old Testament where God's spirit and glory dwelled among his people. Then when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The way was made open for people through faith in Jesus to come into relationship with God, which is why, well, later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible teaches that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's spirit and his glory dwells in you and me, in our bodies. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible is teaching that it's not just our bodies individually, that God's spirit dwells in his church. 
As this church is gathered together, this is where the presence and the glory of God are manifest in a powerful way. So that means our work as pastors and church planners and leaders in the church will reflect to the world the glory and the presence of God among his people. Don't miss what God is saying to us here. He's telling us to work hard to build his church according to his word because he intends for his glory to be put on display in the work we are doing as the church and the churches we plant and the churches we pastor. God desires his glory to be displayed in India, in Metro Washington, D.C., How does he display his glory? Through churches that are filled with his spirit. Through churches that are his field, his building, his temple. All of this means, so bring all this together. We must build God's church according to God's word. We must build God's church according to his word in a way that will stand on the day of judgment. So how do we do this? And that's, that's what leads into, uh, I'll just say, well, we could keep studying 1 Corinthians. This is such a great book, but I just wanna read the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 4. Because Paul then writes, this is how one should regard us. And when he talks about us there, he's talking about himself and Apollos and other leaders in the church, other planters and pastors of the church. This is how one should regard us. And he gives two descriptions. One, as servants of Christ. That's a, it's a great word that he uses there for servants. It's a word that would have been used in the first century to describe what's called an under rower on a boat. So picture the lowest galley of slaves on a boat and they're out in the water and the lowest galley of slaves, their only job is to do whatever the captain of the ship says to do. When the captain says row, they start rowing. When the captain says stop, they stop. When the captain says row this way, they row this way. When the captain says row that way, they row that way. They just do whatever the captain says. Paul says, that's who I am as a pastor. That's who I am as a church planter. I'm an under rower and a boat. Jesus is my captain. I just do whatever he tells me to do. This is who you and I are. We are under rowers. We are servants of Jesus Christ. Whatever he says do, we do it. We do not have the right to build the church, to lead the church according to our thoughts and our ideas and our opinions. No. We do whatever Jesus says to do in his word. We're servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That phrase, the mysteries of God, is a common phrase that Paul uses to talk about the gospel, the mystery of Christ who is in us, who has died for us, who saves us from all the nations. So basically it's a picture of being a steward of the gospel, the good news of God's love in Christ for all the nations. You and I have been given this gospel to steward. Like, picture it. You, where you are there in India, you have been given the greatest news in the world to steward it. Imagine it this way. In the middle of this pandemic, Imagine that you have a cure to COVID. You have a cure to this disease. You have been given that cure to steward it. So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to just keep it to yourself? Make sure that your family has it? And then just stop there? No. You are going to do everything you can to get that cure to as many people as possible. Because you want to be a you want to be a good steward of this gift that has been given to you. This is where I just want to remind us: we have been given a greater 
gift than a cure to COVID. We've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ to make his grace and his salvation, not just salvation from a disease, salvation from sin, salvation from eternal death, to make this good news known to the ends of the earth. We are stewards of the eternal cure that's found in Christ. So this is who we are, servants of Christ, stewards of the gospel. So then verse two, Moreover, it is required of stewards. So what is required of us as servants of Christ and stewards of the gospel? What is required of you according to God? It's required of us that they should be found faithful. One word in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 that God says, I require this of you and me as pastors, as church planters, as leaders in the church. God requires us not to be creative or innovative or people who come up with all kinds of new, great ideas that no one else has ever thought of. Not that we are popular, a lot of people like us. No. God has required one thing of us, that we be faithful to him. And what Paul says after this, is he says, no one else is my judge. I'm not living for this person or that person, I'm not living for you or anybody else as my judge. I'm not even my own judge. I live for one judge, Jesus. My only aim is to be faithful before him. So I encourage you, even as I'm encouraging myself right now in a fresh way based on this text, as pastors, as planters, Leaders in the church, God's field, God's building, God's temple. What is required of us is that we faithfully build his church according to his word. So, how do we do that? How, do, how can we be faithful? And this is where I want to offer you 12 spiritual disciplines. Like I mentioned earlier, we could, we could study God's word for hours with each one of these. But I'm gonna hit them quickly and just mention different passages where we see these spiritual disciplines in the church. And I offer these to you in hopes that if we as pastors and planters and leaders in the church would give ourselves to these 12 disciplines in the church, we would be faithful before God. Spiritual discipline number one, biblical preaching and teaching. Biblical preaching and teaching. So a church preaches and teaches the Bible. The Bible alone as the authoritative word of God. Not the Bible plus something else. Not the Bible plus a pastor's ideas and a pastor's opinions and a pastor's thoughts. No, the Bible alone. This is why when you turn back just a couple of chapters in 1 Corinthians chapter two, Paul wrote, when I came to you brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, the word of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Pastor, planter, leader in the church, 
We must give ourselves to proclaiming the word of God so that people in the church are putting their faith not in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God in his word. Like if you or I gather together with the church and we do not open our Bible or maybe we read the Bible a little bit and then we just kind of talk about all our own ideas and thoughts and on the side over here, then we will lead a church to base their faith on our thoughts and our ideas, our opinions, and that will fail them. But when we open the Bible and we instruct from the Bible, we correct and teach and exhort and encourage and rebuke and edify with God's word, and people begin to put their faith in God's word, then that will last forever. In my quiet time this morning, I read, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, Jesus said, will never pass away. So give them God's word, teach them God's word, help them know how to learn God's word. In your own life, meditate on God's word, memorize God's word, study God's word, proclaim God's word, obey God's word. God's word must be at the center of the church. This is the first spiritual discipline because everything flows from this. If God's word is central in the church, driving everything in the church, then that will lead to faithfulness before God. If God's word is on the side and is not central, is not driving everything, then that will lead to unfaithfulness before God. You must be faithful to his word. This is why 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 makes clear that a pastor has one primary qualification that he must be able to do. He must be able to teach, must be able to teach God's word. Why? Because this is how God, this is how Jesus leads his church through his word, through the mouthpiece of pastors and church planters and leaders who are proclaiming his word. First spiritual discipline of a church, biblical preaching and teaching. Second spiritual discipline of a church, biblical prayer. It's exactly what Paul was talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter two. Demonstration of the spirit and power. This is why when we read the story of the church in the book of Acts, three times in the first six chapters, we read that the church devoted themselves to prayer. It's where the whole book of Acts starts. The church is gathered together, devoting themselves to prayer. And the Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost in response to their praying. And Peter proclaims the gospel and 3,000 people are saved. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. And then right after that, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. And then I want you to see, I wish we had time to study this. But you read through the book of Acts, every major move of the gospel and the power of the Spirit of God comes about in response to the church praying. So you have what I just described in Acts chapter 1 and 2. In Acts chapter 3, they go up to the temple at the time of prayer. They're gathering together corporately for prayer. And a man is healed and people start saying what is happening here. The disciples start to experience persecution. They gather together and they pray at the end of Acts chapter four and it says the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly and right after that in Acts chapter five, multitudes of more people are coming to faith in Jesus. That leads to Acts chapter six. The beginning of Acts chapter six, it says, Yet again, they devoted themselves to prayer and right after it says that, it says that the number of disciples was multiplying, including many priests who were becoming obedient to the faith. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen is being stoned. He looks up to heaven and he prays and right after he prays, the church is scattered. He dies, he's martyred for his faith and the church is scattered 
spreading the gospel, preaching the word throughout Judea and Samaria. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is on a rooftop praying when God speaks to him and opens his eyes to the fact that the gospel is not just for the Jewish people, it's for the Gentiles, it's for all the nations. And the gospel starts spreading to Cornelius' house. You get to chapter 12, the church is praying while Peter is in prison. Peter is miraculously delivered out of prison as a result of the church praying. Acts chapter 13, the church is worshiping and fasting and praying. And the spirit says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And they go out as missionaries to spread the gospel. A whole missions movement is born that takes the gospel throughout the Roman empire. It all happens because the church was praying. We could keep going on and on and on, but get the picture. When the church devotes itself to prayer, the church sees the power of God at work. Like I I just want I want to encourage you. I I, I got back recently from time with the church in South Korea. And I don't know if you, you know the story of the Korean church. But in the year 1900, the whole Korean Peninsula, so this was before there was North Korea and South Korea, the whole Korean Peninsula was less than 1% Christian. Very few followers of Jesus on the Korean Peninsula. And there was a particular conference where leaders, pastors and missionaries, not a lot of them who were there, but they came together for this conference And while they were there, God met them in a powerful way. As they were reading God's word and praying, they began confessing their sins before God to one another. They began falling on their faces, confessing sin, crying out with tears before God. This happened one night in the conference. It kept going on throughout the night into the next morning, into the next day and the next day. Just praying and crying out for God's mercy and God's power. And they scattered from that conference and they began doing this in all their churches. They would get up at four in the morning and they'd pray for two hours every single morning. They would come together on Friday nights And they would pray all throughout the night. They wouldn't sleep all the way to Saturday morning. They'd just pray all night fasting, asking God to move in power, lead people to Jesus, strengthen the church. So they did that starting in the first few years of the 1900s. By the year 2000, There were over 10 million followers of Jesus in South Korea alone. After doing that, that's the story of the church in South Korea. Even today, they get up every morning and they're praying. They gather together on Friday nights and they pray. And God has moved in power. 10 million followers of Jesus. And they're sending out missionaries all around the world. They are second only to the United States when it comes to sending out missionaries in the world. And that's considering they're much, much smaller than the United States. So just think about it. Think about a country that's less than 1% Christian today, that's very close to the gospel. Think about it like Afghanistan. Can you imagine 100 years from now, there being 10 million followers of Jesus in Afghanistan and they're sending out missionaries all around the world. How is that possible? It's only possible through the power of God in response to the prayers of his people. So we must lead our churches to pray like this. Pray for God to do that which we cannot do on our own. When you want to see your community, villages around you, the city around you reached with the gospel, you don't have the power to do that. Only God can do that. So pray.
spiritual discipline number two. I'm gonna start to go much faster, otherwise we won't get through all of these. Spiritual discipline number three in the church is biblical evangelism. Biblical evangelism, biblical proclamation of the gospel. So this is Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church on the proclamation of who I am. As you proclaim, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Christ, Jesus is King. As you proclaim this, I will build my church. The church is built on the proclamation of Jesus as Lord and King and Savior over all. This is why in the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about the supremacy of Christ and the cross of Christ, the gospel of Christ, and its proclamation of this gospel. So I would encourage you to ask, in your church, are the people in your church proclaiming the gospel wherever they go? That's the spiritual discipline of a church. Are you, as a pastor, church planter, leader in the church, are you proclaiming the gospel, leading people to Jesus? That leads to spiritual discipline number four, biblical discipleship. So think the Great Commission. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded us. This is what the church does. We lead people to Jesus, and then we help people grow in Jesus. When we give ourselves to these spiritual disciplines, what God does in the church is he produces disciples We teach them to obey everything he has commanded us. We teach them. We don't just tell them what God's word says so they have more information in their heads. We teach them to obey. We teach them to walk with God, to worship God, to love God, to love God. Others as themselves, we help them see how the word of God transforms every facet of their lives. Biblical discipleship. Spiritual discipline number five, biblical membership. Spiritual discipline of a church is recognizing followers of Jesus in a 1 Corinthians 12 kind of way as significant members of a body, like a foot or a hand or an eye. Every single member has its part to play in the building up of the church and the spread of the gospel. Every member matters. Every member counts. So this, in this spiritual discipline, this is where we, we realize all throughout the Bible, specifically the New Testament, we see the church talked about. And sometimes the Bible talks about the church as the universal body of Christ, the believers in Christ in all the world or in all time. Like you and I together are part of the universal body of Christ. However, out of the 114 different times that the Bible talks about the church, Over 90 of those times, the Bible talks about local bodies of believers who are gathered together in a particular place and are committed to being the church together in that place. This is different for you and me. I'm a part of a local church in Washington, D.C. You're a part of a local church in your community in India. And I'm a member Yes, of the universal body of Christ with you, but I'm a member of this body where I'm committed to loving and caring for the brothers and sisters who are a part of this body and working together with them to build up this body of Christ and to spread the gospel of Christ. And every member of the church matters in this way. So when it comes to spiritual disciplines of a church, we As we're building the church according to God's word, we recognize members of local churches 
And we affirm that every single member matters. The foot matters, the hand matters, the eye matters. Every single member matters. That leads to spiritual discipline number six, biblical leadership. Biblical leadership. The Bible clearly recognizes pastors and elders and overseers as leaders in the church. These words are used interchangeably in the New Testament to describe those who shepherd the church, who teach the word to the church, who model the character of Christ. We see the qualifications of pastors and elders and overseers in Titus chapter 1 verses 5 through 9 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. These qualifications that basically say an elder or pastor or overseer should be an example of what it means to follow Jesus. In a 1 Corinthians 11, one kind of way to be able to say to the church, follow me as I follow Christ. And then we see 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13, qualifications for deacons, those who lead and serve in the church in different ways. And so spiritual discipline of a biblical church is biblical leadership. Having pastors, elders, overseers according to God's word. This is why in Acts chapter 14, as soon as these initial churches are started by Paul and Barnabas in new places, one of the first things they do is appoint elders in those churches who will shepherd those churches according to the word of God. A seventh spiritual discipline is biblical worship. Biblical worship. The church gathers together to worship God. Gathers together to hear the word of God. Gathers together to pray, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. In Ephesians chapter five, church gathers together to spur one another on towards Christ. Hebrews chapter 10. We are an assembly who comes together to give glory to God through our songs, through our prayers, through our confession of sin, through fasting together. We worship God. Spiritual discipline number eight is related to that, biblical ordinances. Biblical ordinances. There are two practices that God has ordained for the church to do as part of our worship. One is baptism and one is the Lord's Supper. So we baptize as the church. As people come to know Christ, we celebrate their identification with Christ through baptism. We see this in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We see Jesus modeling this in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. We see Paul talk about the picture of baptism what it represents in Romans chapter six. So baptism and then the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, talks about how when we gather, we celebrate the body and the blood of Christ through taking the bread and taking the cup, just like Jesus instructed us to do. We do this as a church every week when we gather together. We take the bread and take the cup and we remember Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. We reflect on our need for his grace and we rejoice in the salvation he has made possible for us and in the reality that he is coming back for us one day. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, whenever you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we give ourselves to these ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Three or four more, biblical or spiritual discipline number nine, biblical fellowship. There are 59 different commands that involve one another in the New Testament. Love one another, care for one another, restore one another, serve one another, edify one another, encourage one another. All of these different things that we do with one another. This is what Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says the church was devoted to. The fellowship. Sharing life together. We don't just sit next to one another in a 
weekly worship gathering, we share life, to each, share life with each other all week long. We lay down our lives for one another in the church, like family, as brothers and sisters. I think about one new member in our church who we, we have over 100 different countries represented in our church. And this man comes from a country where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus. And as soon as he became a follower of Jesus, his family disowned him. And so I brought him up in front of the church and I, I just said to him, we want you to know we are your family and we will be your family. We will be your brothers and sisters and we will love you like family. This is what the church is called to do. The spiritual discipline of a church is a biblical fellowship, which leads to number 10, biblical accountability and discipline. Biblical accountability and discipline, meaning in a Matthew, 20, Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20 kind of way, we help one another when someone is caught in sin. Galatians chapter six says we restore one another. When we see a brother or a sister struggling in sin, then we go to them and we call them back to Christ. We help them follow Christ and not continue to wander in sin. And if they refuse to follow Christ, then Jesus outlines a process through which we take others along and we as a church go to that person. But if they still will not follow Christ, and there comes a point where we put them out of the church and we say, we don't see that you are actually a follower of Christ because of your actions in this way and your unrepentance when it comes to sin. This is what happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There is a man in the church who is guilty of unrepentant sexual immorality. And Paul says, remove him from the church. Church accountability and discipline. So a church practices that spiritual discipline. Two more. Number 11, biblical giving. Biblical giving. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul talks about an offering that the church at Corinth was taking up for the church in Jerusalem, a time of famine. It's the same offering he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. It's a picture we see all over the New Testament. Think Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 2. The church is giving to each other, bringing their offerings together for the building up of the church, for the support of the poor, and for the spread of the gospel. All of this happens through the church sharing resources together, giving to one another, giving sacrificially and generously and cheerfully in a 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 kind of way. And then final spiritual discipline of a biblical church is biblical mission. Biblical mission. Now, you might say, well, isn't that just evangelism or discipleship, what we were talking about earlier? No. A biblical mission is saying we don't just share the gospel right around us. We share the gospel in places far from us. We don't just focus on the community right around us. We focus on places far from us. Why? Because Jesus has told us to make disciples of all the nations. Jesus has not told us just to focus right where we are. Jesus told us, has told us to go places where the gospel has not yet gone. For me as a pastor, for you as a pastor, church planner, leader, to look at the church we're a part of and to say, how can we together be a part of spreading the gospel to places where the gospel has not yet gone? There are billions of people in the world today, two or three billion people in the world today, including many in India and many beyond India. I've been praying over recent days specifically for groups of people in Pakistan who have never heard the gospel and Jesus has told us to go to them. Jesus has told us to go across 
ethnic barriers, geographic barriers, linguistic barriers for the spread of the gospel to people and places where it has not yet gone. And if we're not giving ourselves to that spiritual discipline, then we are disobeying the Great Commission as the church. So I hope that offering these 12 spiritual disciplines of a church might help you and me be able to look at this list and say, how is our church doing in this area, in this spiritual discipline? How is our church doing in this spiritual discipline? And I'm guessing some of our churches might be doing well in this discipline, but maybe not very well over in this discipline. And based on 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, God is calling us to build his church in all of these ways according to his word. And so I pray that based on what we heard in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, this overview of spiritual disciplines of a church, that God will help you, me, us together to lead his church wisely according to his word in such a way that one day when you and I stand before Jesus to give an account for how we've led his church, he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh God, I, I pray that I would hear those words on that day. And I pray for every single person who's listening to this right now, there in India, I pray that they would hear those words on that day. By your grace, that we would hear you say, with how we have led in your church, well done, good and faithful servants. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 